Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel over-churched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. I would ask you all to just take a deep breath and prepare to hear the word of the Lord. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. Hi. My name is Erin James Brown. Uh, I am the interim site pastor here at UVC Edgewater. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm so glad you're here. And this is Kelsey. Kelsey and I are trying something new, uh, and by new I mean co-preaching, preaching together about this kind of difficult text that we have and are trying to unpack this morning. So will you pray with me? God, the world shakes, and you are at the center of it still. When it feels like things are crumbling around us, we know that you are still our God in control and loving and moving us towards your hope for the future. And so, God, we offer this time to you this morning. Bless the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts that they might be pleasing to you, that we might better understand the work that you are doing in and among us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You want to get us started? Sure. Go for it. 
So I don't know about you, but I heard this passage and thought, my oh my, this is a tough one. I, it took me a while this week to really figure it out because there are so many terrifying images in it. There are distress among the nations, roaring of the sea, people fainting from fear, heaven and earth passing away, a trap to escape from. Sounds like the rapture, like those apocalypse movies where like God brings chaos upon the earth and will pull the good people up and into the sky and... Yikes. But I also, on the other hand, know that it can't be that because that's not the God who I believe in. But also, we know that the rapture is not true. That idea of the chaos and the sucking up of the good people is is a modern creation. And so, man, where does that leave us? Yeah, this is a really interesting text that often gets used around Advent this time, the first Sunday of Advent, leading up to the four Sundays before Christmas. And we often have these apocalyptic texts that seem daunting and terrifying. But it's important to know we're not taking this out of context. If we look at the stories surrounding this passage in Luke, we understand that Jesus is talking to his people at a specific time about the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem, which actually happened in 66 CE, shortly after Jesus' death. The Roman Empire came in and took Jerusalem by siege and held the people captive. And then in 70 CE, they decimated the temple and destroyed it. And what we believe is that Luke was probably writing to those people. He's writing around 70 to 90 CE, so he's writing to the people who have just experienced this terrifying experience of being held captive and then losing their place of faith, the heartbeat center of where they believed God's spirit resided. And so Luke is trying to write to these emotionally and physically fatigued people, explaining to them that God Although all the evidence looks like to the contrary, God has not abandoned them yet. And so uh, the people stumble around the smoldering ashes of the temple, wondering if there is a future out there and if God is still real. The people believed that it was the end of the world. The people might have believed that God was dead, that there was no hope for salvation. And so Luke was writing to jog the memory of these people those traumatized Jesus followers. And we've seen that they had seen death and destruction before, is what he's trying to say. So in those days when they witnessed their leader hung from a tree and tortured and slaughtered mercilessly, there were in those days when the sun turned black and the earth shook for fear. There were those days when they saw death and destruction. There were those days when fear when they feared there was no hope for salvation. And it was in those same days that they sang the words from Mary's lips, God have mercy, bring down the mighty and lift up the lowly. God shows strength to God's people. And so Luke was trying to jog the memories of these traumatized Jesus followers and to remind them that death and destruction might seem like the end, but it is not. That our God of creation keeps moving and shaking and waking people up from their sleep and lifting up the head of the lowly because God is not done. So Jesus was talking about the normal destruction and hopelessness that we sometimes experience here on earth Mm -hmm. and reminding us that no matter how it seems that God is with us. Yeah. That's so much less scary. Is it? (laughs) Well, 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is. I say it is. <laughs> um, but that leads me to another question. That, that last verse of the of the passage it says that we should be on guard and be alert. Mm. Is Jesus telling them to be ready to look for the future, be ready to hold on to God when times are tough? But is it is there more that Jesus is telling them to be ready for? Is it is it their own death, our own death? Our life in heaven, preparation for suffering. It, verse 34 says, be on guard. Mm -hmm. So that they, that day doesn't catch you unexpectedly like a trap. This verse to me is the best example of why English really sucks. We're not reading it in the original Greek. Like there's so many words in there that I'm like, this can't be how we understand these words to mean today. But particularly that phrase that day, what is, mm -hmm. what is that talking about? Like, is that, is that a specific day? Like it's already been put on the calendar in the future somewhere. Like God already knows it's set. Or is it like a more unsure day, but like in the future, yeah. is it like an every day, a yeah. multiple day, like multiple times through history? Yeah, this is where language gets really complicated and where it would be really helpful if we all read Greek. But I studied Greek for four years and I still can't read it, so don't worry. <laughs> but the importance to know is that usually what's being interpreted here is be on guard or be alert. In our American context, we become heightened and super sensitive to be like, oh yes, I have to be prepared for battle. When really what they were telling is to say, be intentional about your life. Be specific about what you do with your life. Be alert to the life that is around you. And so to say the question about on that day, is it one specific day that uh, the people were preparing for and they believed it was going to happen within their own lifetime. And then when it didn't, they felt very disappointed, but then they were dead. But then their like four children were very confused about what that one day means. So I'm going to start my explanation around that day with a little bit of a backstory, and then I'll get to your question. So we started this new sermon series throughout all of Advent, the next four Sundays leading up to Christmas. We're going to be talking, our new sermon series is called Unexpected Gifts, Unwrapping God's Values. Uh, super cute, right? Uh, <laughs> what we're trying to do with this sermon series is trying to help explore some of our anti-racist commitments and how those are actually what we believe are God's values for this world. Because anti-racist can be kind of a scary, politically charged word sometimes. What we believe, what we're doing in trying to live into these values is live into what God sees and hopes for for this world. And so it aligns really well with what uh, this whole Advent season and preparation for God getting everything that God wants. And so I have a slide here to show you what some of the uh, anti-racist values are if you don't know what they are. Uh, possibly we have one. But what, the, what we're talking about today is comparing, so there's white, institu white institutional values or dominant values that seem to control our world and that we continue to buy into. It doesn't mean that white people only do this. It doesn't mean that white people are bad because they do this or that people of color are bad because they get caught up into these institutional values, but that these are systems and structures that have been built over generations that we kind of all pour into because we've been taught them. We've inherited them. And what we're trying to do is live into transformational values, seeing God's values for the world and living into those in a new and different way. But we understand that some people are not going to be comfortable with that, that they're, we're going to feel pressure not to live into those values and to re-center ourselves into dominant values. 
So the value we're talking about today, the dominant value is usually called either or thinking. Either or thinking believes that there is a solution to the problem. There are probably two solutions and one is better. We can either do this solution or we can do this solution and only one of them can we choose. So we're gonna choose the best solution. Everybody better get on board. Let's go with that. Those are dominant world values. But what we believe God really believes is in transformational world values, that there are multiple answers to a problem, that there is both and in the world, that both this can be good for us and this decision can be good for us, that maybe we need to negotiate like mixing those two choices and selecting them together in order to create this third way and choice for us to move forward. Believing that it's not just one or the other thing that is right or good for us, but that it can be both and. Both this is good and this is good. And maybe there's another alternative way forward. These values came out of our partner organization, Crossroads Anti-Racism Training and Organizing. Many of you may have been to one of those trainings. If you want to go, we have a training coming up in January. We have scholarship money to go. You could totally be a part of that if you're interested in learning more about what it means to be an anti-racist person or institution. So the idea is that there are multiple ways to be a person in this world, and we are trying to live more fully into what God is calling us to. Some examples of that would be like, um, we live in like a very either or society nowadays. Either, like I just got back from Thanksgiving and I am either a Republican or a Democrat at my Thanksgiving table. I am either a progressive or a conservative. I am not a nuanced person. I cannot be uh, a queer person and have strong family values. That would not fly. But that's actually what a both and thinking is, is I can be both a person committed to seeing inclusivity in the world and committed to having a strong family and strong connection to my like uh, larger extended family. Both and thinking would tell us that I am not just uh, I'm not just a person of faith, but I am also a person who is active in the world. Or maybe for you, one way I like to think of it is. Um, I sometimes wonder if I am a good prayer. My grandmother uh, is a prayer warrior in quotes at her church. Mm -hmm. That has that language has a whole nother. That's a sermon for another day. But um, <laughs> she prays early in the morning, late at night. She prays when she's looking for a parking spot, and God seems to answer. <laughs> And that is what pray, being a praying person has always looked like in my life. And so I've always assumed that if I am not praying for a parking spot or waking up early in the morning and having silent meditation or going to a retreat and being surrounded by a bunch of nuns, then I am not a praying person. So I am only a non-praying person. When really, though that's an either-or way of thinking about our faith. Because really what we are is we are people who are sometimes praying out loud, whispering prayers into the dark. But we are also people who are breathing deeply, people who are moving with intention throughout the world. People are seeking to find God in new and incredible spaces. And so we are also praying people. It just looks different. But we are praying both and at all times. So this... Either or both and thinking is what we're trying to wrestle with. And what we believe God is trying to help us wrestle with in, the, uh, in, our, 
in our world and within our institutions and within ourselves. So getting back to your question. <laughs> is this about one day? Is Jesus saying there's one time that this is going to happen and people are going to be suddenly and instantaneously in the presence of God? And that's kind of giving into either or thinking. It's either going to be one day or it's going to be never. And so we don't have this understanding of destruction happening in our minds this way, but history tells us otherwise. Jesus in Luke's gospel is talking about these like huge cataclysmic shifts happening where stars are exploding and the earth is shaking. And Luke's audience is considering that the demolishment of their freedom of religion is happening all around them. And so they believe the ultimate shite is hitting the ultimate fan. <laughs> But they also remember those fear-filled days after Jesus' death that Cece was talking about when they didn't know if Jesus was going to be raised because they hadn't seen evidence of it yet. And they were fearful of how this movement would go moving forward. And so this passage is reminding them that their ancestors also experienced this fearful night or fear-filled days when they were waiting in their homes, knowing that death and destruction was sweeping across Egypt, taking the oldest boy of each household, wondering if they would be saved, wondering if they would be freed, and they did experience freedom. It's this storm that comes before the resurrection and hope of the morning. It's not about a specific day, but it's about preparing every day, that knowing that despite all evidence to the contrary, our God is still working, still moving among us now. The both and thinking tells us terrible things can happen. And our God is still our God doing good and working towards love and mercy and justice. It is both and in our existence. So when the, the gospel writer says, be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man, we must be alert, not just preparing for disaster, but being alert with our minds and with our lives and how we spend our money and how we move through the world. Instead, we're looking for more opportunities. That's what being alert to opportunities around us, not being seduced into inaction. Because I don't know about you, I can get so tired just scrolling through Twitter and not feeling like I have the power or the stamina to move forward and to make a change in my life. What this passage is calling us to is to say, no, you should be alert to all the opportunities and ways that you can be living for God's justice in this world. Whether it seems like there are dumpster fires all around us, you can carry that little extinguisher in your pocket. So that's what it means when we work towards justice and love with mercy and walk humbly with our God. We are continually taking this kingdom of God and pulling it into our presence. It's not this one day off kind of thing, but something we're dragging into the moment where we live right now. So that's both and. The good news. God's kingdom is both here and now, and it's not fully realized. We know the evidence of that because of the dumpster fires. Mm -hmm. But we know that it is also here and now because we see it in our own lives. We see it in each other's homes and families when we welcome a new baby. We know that God is not done. Yeah. Yeah. So this passage is not scary and full of hope. 
Maybe a little scary. Maybe a little scary. Both scary and full of hope. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> so being alert is not like having an evacuation plan and a bunker full of non-perishables. It's not like putting on our tinfoil hat and like watching around in fear. It's about looking around for God at work in our world. That's, that's also maybe a little less, a little less scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's about being ready to have hope and love in those toughest times. Mm -hmm. It's being ready to, to hold on to your relationship with God when it's the hardest to hold on to it. Yeah. Um, and so, we, so it's not saying we shouldn't be concerned. We should only have hope. It's that both and. We mm -hmm. can be concerned and afraid or worried about the things that are happening, but we also have to and hold on to our hope that, there is love and justice and mercy and that we are bringing it and God is bringing it to the world. Yeah. So God strengthens us to keep going. Yeah. No matter what dumpster fires are blazing around us and how many extinguishers we have to keep in our pocket mm -hmm. to blow them out. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, um, it says, when it says, when these things begin to take place, this is in verse uh, 28. Stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And that's the verse that I've been meditating on and praying through all this week as we came to prepare. Uh, it's important to remember that these things are already taking place around us and our, the goodness and justice of God is already taking place around us. And it's not fully realized. But we contribute to making that happen when we do those actions, when we live into God's values. We are pulling that love and mercy and justice more fully into, into this space. So we, as followers of God, are called to stand up, to raise up our heads, to proudly raise up our heads and commit to continuing working together to undo systems of oppression and violence. So it means we don't turn our eyes downward or turn our necks downward, believing that we are incapable of a task or believing that we are unworthy of redemption. Actually lifting up your head and standing tall is an act of God-infused pride. No, we stand proud, fully confident that we are powerfully loved by our God. And so we act like it and we believe it. We believe that God is working among us and we're committed to doing God's work and reminding ourselves of the difference we're making in the world. So I want to just remind you, because sometimes it feels like the wildfires out there are real and we are doing good work here because I don't know if you know this, if you follow us on the socials, uh, maybe you heard, <laughs> but we have a special person who's not here today because she's off getting black belt training done. But our liturgist extraordinaire, 12-year-old orator extraordinaire, Jalen, recently was uh, one, is going to the National Soapbox Nation competition to talk about the importance of the foster care system, having healthy foster care system, having healthy families that are investing in children and raising children to grow and be good humans in the world. Jalen was awarded the first place of the middle schoolers, and she's only in seventh grade, so she really pissed off a bunch of eighth graders. <laughs> but as you know, she is a very gifted speaker, gifted at communicating God's love and mercy and justice, but she has learned that in her school, in other trainings, but also has learned that here 
in our community because we invest in her, seeing gifts and talents and saying, yeah, you get up there and do those announcements. You're way better than I am. <laughs> or yes, you are a beautiful woman of God and we value you and entrust in you this huge opportunity to speak in front of our congregation. One of the other ways that you, UBC, continue to value other people and work towards goodness is Tyler Swanlin. I don't know if he's in here. I told him I was going to call him out. Tyler Swanlin is our greeting team lead, which means he makes all this happen, basically. And he's like our advocate for getting a new sign out in the front, which I always forget until I'm driving here on Sunday morning. So if you have a sign guy, let me know. But... Tyler Swanlin also knows that he can trust this community to hold and care for him. He's been in this process with this grandmother who lives in the suburbs who is actively dying from liver failure. And every once in a while, Tyler, who makes all of this run, has to text or email one of us to say, I can't make it. I have to go and be with my grandmother. And we as a community can say, yes, Go with God. That is what you should be doing. You are an extension of our community. You are an extension of God's presence when you sit and honor your grandmother at her bedside. And also, we are a community that can hold that for you. And we are people who will come in and step up and hand out the flyers and set out the signs because we believe we can all do this together in collaboration. It's not just one person holding us all together, but we're working together as a community. This is the both and life that we are living out. It's also when we decide that we realize that immigrants, people coming to our country, people who are already here legally are uh, facing and being threatened with deportation or being removed from their housing. They're unable to get food and assistance that they need. That when we use our collective voice to write to our legislators or call them or sign petitions, that, that are, those are also ways that we are contributing to God's love and presence and mercy and justice in this world. Those are the ways that we contribute to what God is doing. So we believe that the God who calls us to welcome the immigrant and the stranger in our land is using us to do that. We're not afraid of ambiguity of the both and of life and the existence, but we embrace this value of inclusion because our God is actually a God of both and. Our God is the creator, both creator and redeemer and sustainer of our world and of our faith. So we don't uh, fear what it means to be an anti-racist, both and kind of community, but we know that God's community, God's reality is already here and not yet fully realized. And we get to participate in making it even more so, more so real. Will you pray with me? God of justice and peace. Justice and peace might not always seem like they go together. And yet, God, they do because you are our God who finds a way for justice and peace. From the heavens, you rain down mercy and kindness that all on earth may stand in awe and wonder before your marvelous deeds. Raise our heads in expectation that we may hope and yearn for the coming day of the Lord and stand without blame before, our son, before your son, Jesus Christ. Help us feel that warmth of your reign around us now because we are your people and you are our God. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.